welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And today we're joined by Alex Williams, founding partner at Solar Energy Partners. We're going to talk a bit about Solar Energy Partners, about California, but the hot topic of, of not just the, the, the month or quarter, but the year, I think, is what's happening with solar net metering in California. So to start off, Alex, could we just jump straight into that and get an update from you? What is the situation with solar net metering in California? Hey, good morning, Zach. Thanks for having me on. The latest and greatest with net metering 3.0 here in California is that the state has decided to punt it just a little bit. So we were on the schedule for the end of January. They were supposed to be making a decision. They took it off the schedule in January. And so everybody kind of thought maybe we'd have another month or whatever, but they've already released the schedule for the February meeting and net metering 3.0 is not on that schedule either. So it sounds like maybe they're back to the drawing boards a little bit. I know between the phone calls that they opened to the public and a couple of rallies that happened in San Francisco and LA, there was quite a bit of backlash. So I think that the CPUC is doing a little bit deeper dive into some of the numbers to see if they can't come back with a proposal that's a little less drastic. Yeah, I mean, there's been some pretty tremendous uh, pushback on it. Uh, obviously, a lot of rooftop solar fans upset with uh, the proposal that was on the table there. It seemed like it was just going to get pushed through. We don't have to go down this too much, but you know, you're in the industry, so I'm just curious to know if you have much insight into the current makeup of the CPUC, California Public Utilities Commission, and why after sort of years of this kind of debate about rooftop solar and utilities, uh, why, why it's come about that now they were looking to make these big changes? Is it because of the makeup of the CPUC? Is it just, just seem like the time because of the, the level of solar we're at? Well, first of all, the, uh, the makeup of the CPUC is there's four, I believe they call them commissioners, and then one board president and they've all been appointed under Governor Newsom. So it is an appointed position, and they definitely have all been appointed by him. And most, I believe, uh, four of the five members have been appointed in like the last 18 to 24 months. So here pretty recently. So I think that may be part of the reason, as you mentioned, we are in a point now, especially here in California, as a whole in the nation, I feel like we're starting to kind of get through that early adopter. But here in California, early adopters, you know, that might have been four or five years ago. We're pretty deep into the uh, early majority here. So I do believe that net metering is going to need, obviously, to continue to evolve as the industry does. But it just felt like this was a little bit of an overreach by the utilities. It's kind of like they saw a crack in the door and decided to try and drive a truck through it. Yeah. And I'm not going to put this in words into your mouth unless you feel, but I mean, it, it sounds like certain people who are, were appointed rather recently were more 
it leaned more to the utility perspective, the arguments that the major utilities have been making than all the rooftop solar advocates and rooftop solar companies have been making about the value of solar and how important it is and, and the, you know, uh, who, who bears the cost and all that. But yeah, so that's some useful insight to start. Let's uh, maybe move on, move from there to, I guess we can talk a little bit about if the proposal that was on the table went forward, if, or if they just tweak it a little bit to try to respond to the concerns, what kind of uh, impact will that have on homeowners who have solar and homeowners who are considering solar to different groups? Yeah, so uh, first group, people that already have solar, um, there were two kind of proposals or two, I guess, measures that they were working on. The first is changing the rules on how they charge to be connected to the grid or how they compensate you for your solar production. And then the second part was how long they're going to honor those rules. So as the law stands right now, there's a 20-year grandfathering period for anyone who goes solar. Basically, the rules are guaranteed the way that they are when you get it for the next 20 years. So they were attempting to decrease that to 15 years, and that would be retroactive. So everybody who got solar with the promise that you've got 20 years, all of a sudden they're trying to take five years away from that. So I think that created quite a bit of backlash from customers who had already invested in solar. And it's like, hey, you can't move the goalpost in the middle of the kick, right? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> Exactly. And, and I mean, uh, and I mean, it's not like, okay, I get it. It's a government agency, CPUC, but it is, is that, would that open them up to lawsuits? I mean, it seems crazy that you would have this agreement when someone get you know, makes the investment to go solar and then they would cut five years off of it. Yeah. I think, you know, if we look at Nevada, anyone who's familiar Nevada went through a very similar kind of situation, 2016 and early 2017. And you know, their public utilities commission basically allowed Nevada power to drastically, drastically alter their net metering program and allowed them to make it retroactive to everyone who had already done it. And it, it absolutely destroyed the solar industry in Nevada for a number of years. And then luckily um, the state was able to kind of look at it and get deeper into it and realize that, Hey, maybe the utility might've you know, overrepresented some of these costs and maybe they were uh, being a little bit, maybe not the most clear in their explanations. And so they reversed that and the solar industry is, you know, gaining momentum again in Nevada. But if you also look in Arizona, a federal judge actually just ruled against uh, one of the major utilities there in Arizona because they were kind of doing the same thing. They changed their net metering. They put drastic fees on solar saying, oh, it costs, you know, other participants in the grid. And then they do this study over multiple years and it comes out that, oh, maybe solar is a little more beneficial than we might've initially indicated. And so I feel like we're in this time right now where the states or, uh, you know, these different public utilities commissions are, are getting caught with their hand in the cookie jar a little bit when it comes to rooftop solar. I think anybody in rooftop solar or solar in general would say that we'll gladly pay our fair share. But to say that rooftop solar is a net negative to the grid is just, I mean, that's just not true. Yeah, I like that. That's really I, I like your the the cookie jar metaphor too. This is, I mean, Arizona sort of has had this fight going on a lot longer than California. They've had sort of you could say 
utility utility capture of the PUC back. But there is like the the thing that's irritating is it can be a very compelling argument when you read oh all the costs are getting shifted to lower income people. You know this is just helping rich people put solar on their houses, and it's a very simple, easy, understandable argument. But what is missed is that there are tremendous benefits to these rooftop solar programs. One, they cut pollution in what are often lower income areas that suffer the most pollution from dirty fossil fuel power plants. They lower grid costs. Well, I'll let you talk. So, so what are some of the benefits? <laughs> what are some of these uh, benefits of rooftop solar that sort of most routinely get ignored or underrepresented in these discussions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I've always found that that's a very interesting argument to try and make because being in the industry, I mean, 75, maybe 80% of our customers would be considered lower middle or even lower income. And so for me, it's always been like the rich people aren't the ones getting solar. You know, we have literally, you know, thousands of installs a year happening and high, high, high percentage of them are not what people would consider wealthy. Um, and so it's always been kind of interesting, right? Like, I don't, I don't see that. And anyone I've had discussions with in the industry says the same thing. Like, we're not selling a lot of, you know, eight and nine figure customers. That, that's just not the market that is adopting rooftop solar. And then when you really do get into the actual benefits of it, as you mentioned, excellent way to reduce fossil fuels. It does bring value to the local area when you look at like if you took a neighborhood and said how much does it cost to provide electricity to that neighborhood and then if that neighborhood had 10 percent 20 percent 30 percent solar in it the cost to provide electricity to that neighborhood goes down because when you're creating electricity locally there's a phenomenon called transmission loss basically the farther you move electricity the, the less of it arrives and so if that electricity is being captured at your neighbor's house and shipped across the street to you, you're losing way less electricity than if it's produced at the Hoover Dam in Las Vegas and they're shipping it to your house in Orange County. That makes a lot of sense. And our, there's also infrastructure costs that are avoided, like a substation, this kind of thing. Is this also part of that equation? Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about you know, traditionally the way electricity has always been generated, whether you're using hydro or whether you're using a coal power plant, whatever the source, you're going to make the electricity at a location and then it has to be dis distributed through the grid. And if you're transmitting millions of watts, it has to be a very robust and a very, you know, uh, strong grid, if you will. But when the electricity is made more locally, we're not having to transmit it in such large volumes. And so you don't need nearly as robust of an infrastructure and you don't have to have these huge systems that are running hundreds of miles through the desert of Nevada and California to get all the electricity into California. It's this idea that it's easier to produce something locally and move it ashore than produce it all a long ways away and distribute it to a large population. Yeah, so very, you know, again, it's not as simple of an argument as the argument against rooftop solar that's sort of caught on with heavy marketing, but it's an, it's a, it's an easy argument to also understand and share. And Gavin Newsom, you know, he's 
he's a very progressive governor. He's very climate oriented, talks a lot about climate. He's, you know, he used to be mayor of San Francisco. He was a contributor on Clean Technica when he was mayor of San Francisco. He published articles on our website 15 years ago. It was sort of funny. But yeah. what, do, what, do you, what do you think his role is in this issue? I mean, obviously, it's a CPUC. It's not elected officials and as you said they're people appointed by newsom but it's not like he tells them what to do so what's his role yeah i think i i was very excited to see him at least make a comment on it sometimes it's hard to get him you know involved in something that he doesn't want to be involved in he's very good at kind of uh dodging questions if you will but i was happy to see that he did comment i believe basically his comment was we've still got a long ways to go on this i would I would be happy if he would engage in that long ways to go, right? It, um, as you said, he, he at different points has been very outspoken for, you know, renewable and climate change and, and that kind of side of it. And I would hope that he would continue to, to have his voice heard. As you said, I don't think that he, you know, rules the CPUC with an iron fist or anything like that, but it is pretty plain to see that he's going to have influence there. And so I would hope that he would use that influence to try and make sure that California continues to be a leader. Like the reality is that the solar industry would not be what it was if California hadn't done what it had done. And so I think all anybody's looking for is that we continue to be kind of that tip of the spear that we have been and continue to push the envelope to really get you know, 100% renewable by 2045 is the goal. Yeah, I think you said, well, he, he is a very savvy, I mean, he, he's like, he's a super savvy politician. And I mean, you have to wonder how these people got on the board who are pushing this now. At the same time, his influence, you know, I think he's a well-known candidate for, a, you know, a presidential run one day and, yeah. you know, US presidential run. So I'm sure it must be, you know, notable if he calls you up and it's like, hey, what's going on down there at the CPUC? You know, you know, <laughs> like I'm Gavin Newsom. Remember me? <laughs> like what's going yeah. on? You want to yeah. be on my good side when if I decide to run for president one day and, you know, we need a new director of FERC or something. You know? <laughs> so, Absolutely. so I don't know. But it's interesting. I'm just it's good to hear that he's he's chimed in a little bit. Like you said, that's a big sign. He's very good at avoiding conversations he wants to avoid so that. That sounds like a good sign, like people have gotten to him. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, we were going to, you know, before when we set up this call, I was thinking about talking about how how companies like yours would adapt to these new rules. I don't know if we want to go down that road or just wait since right now it's in limbo. What do you? Uh, I, I guess all I would say on it is the cat's out of the bag with solar. I mean, they're, they can change their rules and they can do what they will but the reality is the market knows that solar exists now and there are enough customers that are seeing the benefits of it that i don't think there's anything anyone's going to do to really stop the industry it's just how much of that benefit is getting pushed to the utility that's the reality is that right now there is no denying that there's a ton of benefit coming from solar the only question is does that benefit go to the utility side of the meter or does that benefit go to the customer side of the meter? And I think that the market will continue to provide a solution to keep that, that benefit 
On the customer side, I think storage is spinning up nicely. We're seeing some of that backlog that, that we were experiencing over the last 12 to 18 months in the storage space, uh, you know, home batteries. That's starting to kind of catch back up. I heard uh, the other day that Tesla was expecting to like two or three X their battery delivery, their uh, power wall deliveries over the next 90 days. So I think as some of these manufacturers ramp production with uh, storage, ultimately, if that's what it comes to, we're in a part, we're at a place in the market where you can still do solar and store it on your property cheaper than you can buy it from a utility company in California. Yeah, it's quite quite lucky that storage, the storage technologies have scaled right in time to help the solar te- the solar technologies that have scaled. It's quite a fascinating development. So let's actually talk about your company a little bit. So Solar Energy Partners has over a thousand solar consultants reps, consultants or reps. That's a lot. <laughs> like, that's, that's really a lot. So how, yeah. how, how have you, I mean, it's not an easy industry either. I would say, you know, I've covered this industry for 15 years or almost 15 years and used to cover it a lot more. And back, you know, several years ago, there were some big transitions, a lot of companies uh, falling away or merging, getting, and, and there's sort of, you know, some major, some major companies in the industry that sort of get a lot of the headlines. But a, th- a thousand cus- you know, reps, consultants is a lot. So how, ca- how have you managed to grow in such a sort of difficult cutthroat market with sort of big names dominating headlines? We don't need to name them there, but we, you've already named one of them, Tesla, you know. But you know, how have you managed to, to navigate that and get to such a scale? Yeah, so we, we were fortunate enough to get into the industry pretty early. My brother was a little bit ahead of me, but 2014, 2015, residential solar was was not quite the behemoth that it is today. And so we were lucky to get in early and kind of learn the industry, learn what it took to be successful. We did a lot of growing sales teams at some of these other unnamed companies. And so we learned a lot there. And when we decided to start our own, we kind of went all in on two ideas. The first is training, training, and training. I feel like most people want to do excellent work or they want to achieve a very high level. It's just, they don't know the steps that they need to follow to get there. And so um, we kind of went all in on the idea of let's train first, train second, train third. And once everybody's trained up, then we'll worry about trying to get a little work done. And um, kind of our second philosophy going in was that if we can provide an environment where we can give our representatives more options they're going to meet more customers' needs. So what's difficult when you are at one of these large, you know, multi-state companies is they usually have their product, whether it's a PPA or whether it's a loan or whatever it is, they have their kind of arrow in the quiver that you're supposed to fire. And we kind of felt like if we can create an environment where we can give people two or three or five arrows, they're just going to hit more targets. And so it took a long time. We've, we've done a, a lot of trial and error with different partners and different installers, but we've been able to come to a point now where we've got some pretty amazing partners throughout the country that are helping us do the fulfillment side of it. And our company is just an origination company. We don't do any of the operations. So we're not doing installations. We're just simply customer service. We love the customer. We love 
finding and helping customers through that process. And so we've been fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of growing. We, uh, we have probably a lot more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Open relationship, I suppose, with our sales reps. We're not saying like, you don't clock in and clock out. We're not watching to make sure that you're putting your 40 hours in every week. We have college students that are working for us. We have, you know, stay at home moms that are putting in a few hours a week uh, talking to their friends or their neighbors. So we like to kind of let everybody that wants a chance at the solar industry, you know, if you can't give us full time, we'll take part time, but um, it's been an incredible ride for sure. Good for the COVID era. I mean, it's a very the flexibility is critical, I think, for people at this time. Well, that you, first of all, I'll just say you're really good with metaphors. You'd be a great writer. So <laughs> I like the I like the metaphors you pull in here, and just the the comments on training. It makes me think of the I, don't, I can't think of the actual phrase now, but you know, if you plan well, you save a lot of time down the road. So it sounds like that's the training the training model you have there is really train well, plan well, so that you don't waste a lot of time down the road from people saying or doing the wrong things and uh, it's interesting on the options too because you know i would say that's that's a gripe you know we have a lot of readers have chimed in over the years and they don't like being pushed into one box they don't like being told oh no don't no you like that but that's not really what you want go to here and uh, i think that's a great approach as well it sounds very it sounds like you did what you did, what you said. You're in the industry. You saw where there were sort of gaps or issues, and you've created a company that that solves those better. So that's quite quite exciting. It's inspiring, and you have offices in six states. So it's not just California. Where what are those states, and what are your what are your plans for going beyond those states? Um, yeah, so definitely started here in California. This is our uh, largest market. I mean, it's California, right? Uh, We also have a team in Las Vegas, Nevada, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, We have a team in Dallas, Texas, and then a team in New Jersey. They're in like the Atlantic City area. And then we're just barely getting into Florida. It's kind of interesting. You know, the Sunshine State hasn't necessarily been the most friendly residential solar state, but it's really starting to pick up some momentum right now. So we're excited about going more at... Florida. And then I'm super interested in the Illinois market with the extension of some of their state incentives. And then eventually I'd, I'd love to tear up the Eastern seaboard there, you know, Massachusetts, New York, all through there. It's just uh, so far away. It's hard to get over there. Yeah. So maybe, maybe late next year. Well, I mean, it is hard to sometimes understand too, with, with solar and with electric cars, California is half the U S market, like easily, like, <laughs> so it's, it's it's something you sort of forget. You talk about the U.S. and you think, oh, how big it is. But then you get down to it and it's California is half of the market for clean tech. So it's it's kind of like if if you don't focus there, you're sort of losing. You've lost the plot. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I'm from Florida. I'm in Florida now. And it is it's always been depressing to be from the Sunshine State and to be so far behind California and others. But it does seem like there's a lot there's a lot more optimism and positivity about Florida, Texas, as as you point out, Illinois. Is that basically just because the technology has matured? Is that because policies have gotten slowly gotten better in these places as a combination? What is, what is causing this bubbling of, you know, of excitement in these, these other markets, which have a lot of people. (laughs) A lot of people here. Yeah. It's, um, 
as you say, you know, you, you look at the numbers and almost exactly one of every two installs in the country is happening in California, but definitely not half the populations here. So what's exciting is I feel like California has been kind of that trailblazer that just ran out and started going. And now as people are seeing like, Hey, there's a path here. Maybe we should follow the path a little bit. And as I said earlier, solar is an absolute no brainer that there's benefit. I don't think anybody would say that there's not benefit. It's just always been this struggle where the utilities have so much control that how do you break in and kind of get the, get through that initial barrier? And so as, you know, the Floridas and the Texases and the Illinois states, as they get more customers who see the benefit, it becomes this positive reinforcement loop. And I really feel like, you know, when you look at history tells us technology will eventually always prevail. Um, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether it's the Alexander Graham Bells trying to do things or the, it doesn't matter what technology you want to bring up that they try and uh, prevent. Eventually, if it's better technology, it will win. And solar is a better technology. I mean, you know, and some of your listeners I'm sure do, but there's enough energy from the sun hitting the surface of the earth every 70 minutes to power all of civilization for a year. So the energy's there, it's, it's hitting us. And I think more and more people are realizing that that's a possibility. And then I, I really feel like the other side of it is for the first time in our history, humanity understands our impact on the world. And maybe for the last time in our history, we have a chance to do something about it. And so I just think we're in this unique spot where more people than ever understand that there is a problem, that there's a solution to the problem, and that everyone can take their small part to solve this grand thing. The beauty to me of rooftop solar, it is the mentality that many hands make light work, right? If everybody just goes and covers their own electricity at home and gets an electric vehicle powered by solar. I mean, lion's share, I, I don't know the percentage off the top of my head, but a very high percentage of emissions is immediately eliminated. And all everybody has to do is just cover their own little square. So I think eventually the technology will win. And, you know, the, the neighborhood effect, I think is something you were highlighting a few times is really critical you you get a, a couple of houses on a neighborhood go solar and the, that neighborhood people on the neighborhood at that neighborhood level are much more likely to go solar because it's, it's like you said it sells itself i'm curious the, the the mansions of california keep coming back to my head what's the deal with the rich people in, in california who aren't going so who are you know get hyped as the ones benefiting from solar but are not the ones actually dominating the solar installs is it they're just too busy they they don't they can't manage every mansion or is it uh what's the deal why why is that hard hard market to break into well yeah i think you know part of the problem is they're gorgeous right they have these beautiful mansions on top of a hill and I love solar panels. I do, but I can't necessarily try and claim that they're the prettiest thing. I mean, I even just yeah. look at your background there, right? It, it could be difficult to want to put panels on that. So I think you've got a little bit of that aesthetics comes into it. And then I think it's just the old, it's easier to 
keep going and to change something, right? It's like, well, we've always got the electricity this way and maybe we'll deal with it down the road, but for now we'll just kind of leave it. And what we see is that the number one market that's that's interested in that is the people that are interested in the savings, right? If you've got a you know multi-million dollar California villa and you're gonna save a few hundred dollars a month on your electricity, eh, you know, you're, does it you're move not the counting. needle? Yeah, you're not count, you're not looking at your bank account. You're not counting. If you're yeah. looking at your bank account, you're not noting noticing things like operational costs of your houses. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, you know, one thing that I think doesn't really get highlighted enough is is the culture of clean tech companies that that succeed. You know, there's it's just, you know, there's it's easy to focus on the the technologies, on the business plans, but the culture of of companies is something that just has interested me more and more as I've covered this space for 15 years. And I'm curious to hear more about what it is about the culture of SEP that's, you know, been helpful in in your own growth and and uh, expansion. Yeah. First of all, we, we love people. We're, um, you know, the founders, all three of us, and we're just people, people. We love helping and, and trying to get someone from where they are to where they want to be. So I'm a big John Wooden fan, coach of UCLA men's basketball. And he did an interview one time and someone said, you know, 10 championships in 11 years or whatever, and all these great players that came through your program. And how do you create such great basketball players? And his response was, I don't try and create great basketball players. I try and create great men because great men play great basketball. And I think, you know, that speaks to what we're trying to do. Our philosophy or our mentality from the beginning has been empowering people to create incredible lives. Because if you have an incredible life and you love your job and you love what you're doing, you're going to do great work. So I think first and foremost, it's, uh, it's more than how do we, you know, get them good at selling solar or how do we teach them the next uh, closing technique? It's how do we get someone in a position where they love waking up every morning and being able to go do what they get to do? And so we've tried to foster that from the beginning. And then I think our, our other main key is, as I said before, it's train, train, train. So we're not going to our leadership and saying, you got to go get more production and go sell more deals. We're saying, hey, how do we get new people faster? How do we get someone who's been with the company for 90 days to be an expert where it usually takes, you know, a year? How do we accelerate those timelines? And as you do that, it's very exciting for people when you can take a new representative who maybe isn't coming in in the best scenario. As you said, we've seen some pretty tremendous growth during the pandemic. And I think one of the reasons is that we approached and, and talked to people that were nowhere near our industry, people that maybe would never have even considered going into a direct sales environment if they hadn't just lost their job or if they hadn't just had their company implode on them or whatever the case may be. And so by, by kind of looking outside of the usual box and finding people that would probably not have considered this in 2019, but 2020 is just a whole new world. And then getting really focused on once we get them to look at it, showing them a path to success and getting them trained quickly so that they can go out and start to accomplish some of these goals and see that 
wow, solar can be kind of the fuel for me to do everything else that I've wanted to do. That's great stuff. The the John Wooden quote uh, gave me chills, but that was, you know, and it makes you just realize too how much that kind of attitude and that kind of approach extends way beyond the players, you know, extends to a whole solar company of yours, you know, like that's, that's something to, fascinating to think about all by itself. So that's great to hear. Great to see. I'm really excited for your progress. Definitely keep, keep us posted on your perspective as uh, the, the California net metering thing evolves. I'd like to just uh, get short updates even as you as you have them, so it's always helpful to get that kind of these different perspectives. And we get a lot on the activism side and and that, but it's great to get an inside the solar company perspective. And and also, you know, let us know about progress in Florida and Illinois as these kind of places grow up. We'll do it. I appreciate the invite, sir, and have an amazing afternoon. Thank you. Good luck uh, building those great great men and women <laughs> improving their lives. Thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate it, Zach. Have a great day, man. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.